0: You're listening to Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, a podcast that explores the world of K 12 education as it intersects with the Christian faith. You might call us extreme moderates. We're skeptics who try not to be cynics, who desire to see Christian educators dive deeper in their vocation. Welcome to the show. Here we are, a new episode of "Not Many of You Should Become Teachers," and we're joined by another David. We've had a number of Davids on on the show, including our my co-host Dave McFarland. Uh, but welcome to the show, David Grills.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate being here.
0: How about you introduce yourself and let our audience know a little bit more about who you are?
1: Sure. Uh, so I'm a high school Bible teacher in Hamilton uh, or Ancaster. Uh, I teach at Hamilton District Christian High. Uh, 10th grade, which is the Old Testament survey course, and then we have an elective, which is the New Testament survey course, and um, that's mostly 11th graders, but sometimes 12th graders will drop in as well. Uh, I'm a 15-year teacher total and 10 years in the Bible classroom. Uh, Right now, I teach almost exclusively Bible, so with six sections, three each semester, uh, five of those are, are Bible, and often five of them are Old Testament.
0: Do you mind saying how you came across that? Like a lot of, like when you get, Mm -hmm. uh, well, maybe I'm wrong here, but like a lot of teachers certification, like if you go to university and you get certified, like Bible is not usually a teachable that you become certified Mm -hmm. in. So I'm sure you stumbled across this somehow and to do 10 years of it, like how did that sort of come about?
1: Sure. So I, um, it's a long, crazy winding story, which (laughs) I found that often it is for, for high school teachers. So, um, I went to school to be a missionary and um, met my wife at uh, bridal college. I mean, Bible college. And uh, <laughs> I uh, she has multiple sclerosis. So over, going overseas um, wasn't a possibility for us, at least not yet. And uh, so when we settled back in Canada, I started a tech firm, a web development firm and graphic design. And uh, after a while... I was approached by the local Christian high school through someone at our church who taught there to apply for a tech job, uh, both as their sort of network administrator person, as well as their tech teacher. So that's how I got my door into Christian or got my foot into the door of Christian Mm -hmm. education, uh, because I didn't grow up in Christian education. I come from a Pentecostal background uh, now Um, I go to an EGC church, which is a little bit more like Baptist, and there's been a long winding road there as well, (laughs) sometime in the Anglican church too. And uh, after a while, the principal said, you know, I really want you in other classrooms. And I went from part-time to uh, full-time teaching social studies, as well as uh, the tech courses, some English, um, just about everything, and then uh, into Bible, which is the, the main area where I feel qualified. Mm. Uh, and then uh, when that seemed to shift another direction as the principal left and a new principal was hired and a new VP was being brought in who wanted to teach Bible, uh, at that same time I was offered an opportunity to interview here at HD. And so I'm glad I took that up. And, and uh, it's a bigger school, so there's enough Bible sections for me to be able to do this just about mm. full time.
2: Well, David, it's so wonderful to have you on the podcast again. And um, I think we were mentioning just before we started recording. I, I grew up just down the street from uh, where you're teaching, All right? Uh, at HD, and uh, also doing some social studies as well. So neat to neat to hear just on the other side of the country and uh, and the work you're doing. Uh, fast this this you coming to teach Bible, and, and you mentioned that it um, felt like a bit of a sweet spot or, or a calling or uh, really coming into your own uh, one of the things that Riley and I've we've talked about together and we've also uh, talked to some other guests about is like the classroom sort of forming us like you know we're we're learning like co-learning alongside students as well and I know you have some thoughts about that um, but how how does that how does that work and and how did that come about in a, in a, in a bible context for you in a bible classroom context
1: so for me, one of the main goals that I have is to encourage my students to adopt a posture of lifelong learning, specifically in the Bible, uh, in their encounters with the Bible, to shift from receiving it secondhand, so you know from their parents or from their youth pastor or from you know, Sunday morning church to getting into it themselves and then continuing that throughout their life as they mature. Right. And it seems like a long time. You know, if I say to a kid who's, you know, 16 years old that, Hey, you know, God willing you live to 86 years old for a long time, 60 year, or sorry, 70 years, you're going to be, I don't teach math, uh, 70 years, you're going <coughs> to be studying the Bible. How mm-hmm. can you keep doing that? And so I want to model that and be a mm-hmm. co-learner. And, uh, I reveal to my students what I'm learning and uh I, a student surprised me i had a student make a connection maybe two quarters ago that blew my mind um should have been obvious but uh i didn't catch it and that's just yeah. the nature of the bible
2: absolutely right like I, the the nature of the bible and then the the dynamic nature of a classroom like when these two things start to you know when when you when you mash those two things together um it's exciting to hear what's going on in in your space. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I wouldn't do it for free because I've got (laughs) to pay my mortgage. But uh, I learn a lot. Uh, I have one section that's outside of uh, the Bible this year coming in the second semester and that'll be history, ancient civilizations, which um, I'm, I'm a big fan of ancient history. But I have a lot to learn and I'm really excited about that. And I think kids pick up on whether or not the teacher is a, a leader in the learning as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, a co-learner. I love mm-hmm. that phrase co-learner. Cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Now I'd love to just open it up even more here. Like th- I don't know why, and maybe David you've encountered this and I'm just going to speak freely here, but it seems like it's difficult for um or more difficult I don't know it has been just within the culture of christian ed and whatnot that in a bible class it's more difficult to seemingly to provide instruction and assessment or the outcomes are the, the, there's these blurred lines of what are the outcomes are they purely academic and are they so then what does pedagogy have to do with that if it's if it's supposed to be uh-huh. in a school but you've definitely started to yeah. think a lot about like the actual teaching and learning of the bible and I was just curious if you could open up some of the things that have worked for you or things that you're like, these are These are like maybe even like your top three things that have like, wow, I found success here in the Bible class when it comes to teaching. Maybe you could just, just open it up, anything to do with that.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, uh, and this is kind of scary. I think I, I acknowledge that. Um, I have an opportunity to teach the same thing very, very often. So, kids will say, how do you remember that? Well, when you've done something 40 times, <laughs> you, hopefully you remember a little bit of it. And what I'm suggesting is that even teachers who are are less in contact with their, their curriculum and with their content should invite a uh, question asking from their students. I think it's fine to not have an answer to a question. Um, it's fine to defer and say, let me get back to you. Uh, it's even fine to send that question back to the class and say, does anybody have a a starting point for us to discuss this? But it's critical to make questioning a habit from your students because that's Mm -hmm. what they're already doing. And it's what's going to sustain maturity uh, in their spiritual lives Mm -hmm. as they continue. Um, But it is scary. I I acknowledge that. You know, students will ask questions that many teachers who – don't have the same opportunity to teach the same thing so frequently um, might not be prepared for. And I recognize that and, and I don't have all the answers. I think probably when I was getting my Bible degree, I, one of the best things I learned was uh, the greatest theologian says I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, that stuck with me and I, it makes me comfortable with students asking really hard questions.
2: It goes back to you, uh, what you mentioned about modeling as well, right, David? Yes. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to—I I like thinking of that as a posture. Uh, it's a posture yeah. that we take in the classroom and, and to model that. So, well, wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, and it, vulnerability is in there as well. So, I'll say to kids, you know, hey, I was listening to a podcast and. Uh, they said this really interesting thing. Uh, So recently, uh, one of them was related to the Philistines, which I've been given a lot of thought to the Philistines. But uh, archaeologists are saying that they could be Greeks, uh, which is really an interesting thing to explore and think about. Um, So talking to students freely about this is what I'm learning, these are the questions I have uh, encourages them to do so. And it's just where I think anyone in in a relationship with Christ needs to be to, to honor scripture, to grow in their faith, to continue walking uh, in that faith. So uh, that's number one. Number two would be um, I don't assess faith formation. So yeah. I encourage mm-hmm. other teachers, just how do you assess it? I I don't know. And maybe that's an answer that someone might look to this podcast for, you know, how do you assess faith formation? Uh, i don't what i really push is skills so kids can discern uh, in scr- you know, discern what they're reading understand what's meaningful understand yeah. context and uh, really get meaning out of the scripture rather than put meaning into the scripture and um, and then uh, so with the skills then also the content so just having a certain amount of literacy uh, and fluency uh, in the old testament as well
0: yeah, I, I like that you you mentioned like not assessing faith formation. There's I would actually will if people, that are coming to the podcast for that, I could point them in the direction of David Smith's Practicing Faith Survey. If you go to practicing.faith, it's a really cool thing that talks about like student investment in faith or uh, faith practices, but that's not the the end goal of a Bible class. And they, mm-hmm. we sometimes conflate the two. What they're doing with their research on school culture and school f- faith practices is not the same as the skills that you're trying to teach, which I appreciate that word. Mm-hmm. We I, I don't know if we... Look at bible class as a skill-based class enough yeah and that's important for how i assess as well
1: uh, so totally and
0: I'm, i think people handcuff themselves because we haven't thought about that
1: yeah i mean it's simple to teach a, a form of close reading and then develop that close reading through a, a semester and then assess that along the way uh, my summative assessment my final assessment for the year used to be a close reading of a new testament section related to the old testament and th- that's easy to assess and i can say to someone who is you know not maybe not thrilled with being in a bible classroom you can do this and you can do mm-hmm. it well yeah and they can um and i think that does a lot for their future which is um often in god's hands, not our own yeah that s- it's like
0: lowering the floor right that makes it accessible it's not like um you need to be a certain type of Christian person to participate. The floor is low, but the ceiling is high. That if you are invested and this is something that's meaningful for you, then it might have a greater meaning or impact.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And within the the first week or so, I know which students are feeling pretty insecure, uh, which students are pretty um, tired of already of having Bible education. And eventually they all end up kind of in the same place it's not long before everybody realizes they have something to learn and are equipped to to learn it. That's the the third one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. The third one is, um, um, giving students unfettered access to the text. So obviously there are going to be caveats for that. if you're teaching third grade, I recommend you avoid the end of the book of judges right otherwise Wait, you can, can,
0: sorry can i say something that's hilarious judges yeah. is definitely in our grade three bible curriculum 100 i could i could point to <laughs> that right thing. now i could get the <laughs> document i don't know what it says specifically but i know 100 percent that judges is like in our k-12 document you could point there it is yeah. third grade i don't know they definitely don't teach that part but or the any of the gruesome
1: parts but it's definitely part of it yeah sorry yeah <laughs> go on <laughs> no no worries i mean if if you could do a great job of it in third grade, then I would have to change how I approach it in grade 10 (laughs) because they definitely have not heard those stories. And, uh, you know, I always say it doesn't work well in flannel graph. You know, you didn't get that in Sunday school. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, giving kids access. And I do that in a couple of ways. One is, um, I've gone away from reading assignments where I send the kids away to do the reading to where I read. And I do that, as an accessibility um, you know maybe lowering the floor as you're talking about And i use the immerse bible which is a new living translation with no chapters verses or section headings so you're not going to be told what this section is about and they just hear it in a new way and kids are really excited about it and it's familiar texts you know we might read the creation account and after we do the reading uh, they ask me questions and and give opinions and observations and they're shocked. Mm-hmm. And all I'm doing is just reading to them. But what happens is, uh, of course it's structured, so I, I ask them to pay attention and it leads into our close reading. So they're trained, this is a skill piece, they're trained to notice things, they're trained to make connections, they're trained to ask better and better questions as we go through the semester. But then after the reading, they they bring this forward and and they say things like, "I I know this story so well, but I didn't know this was in that story, or I didn't notice this piece." And uh, I think there's a little bit of concern that the Bible teacher should you know go through it, edit out some pieces, and, and give them a very mitigated handout um, that guides them away from you know what if they had the wrong idea about a text or what if they asked the wrong question or. A lot of the sort of right and wrong stuff where um, I trust the Holy Spirit and I trust mm-hmm. my kids to to dig into the text without all of that mitigation.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I appreciate um, and have learned about this Immerse Bible, the reader Bible, and I've mm-hmm. never gotten my hands on one. So maybe you, you just mentioned the the headings and stuff like that, but is there anything yeah. else that you could tell us about it? Like, I've, I, It's really a foreign thing to me. I, I'm loving learning about it.
1: Yeah. So when you open it up, uh, essentially it's it's all of the text that would be in a standard Bible without the notes, without the cross references, uh, without chapters. So there's no chapter one, chapter two, um, no verse numbering. It breaks it into logical sections. The, the chapters and verses, they're fairly new in the history of the Bible, it's, I think 1300s. And they're pretty arbitrary when you look at
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So for instance, the creation account, it ends in chapter 2, verse 4. <laughs> right? If you if you follow logically, day 7 mm-hmm. is in yeah. chapter 2, verse 4, right? So, when I read the creation account to them, they get the whole thing in one shot. Um, I think in that case, I usually read a little bit more and I read right through to um, the fall, all in one fell swoop. And mm-hmm. when that happens, you can make connections between things that you would – you know, put off till the next day. If you read chapter by chapter, Uh, what else is it also um, the order is different. So the first book is just the Torah. The second book is um, called kingdoms and it's, um, you know, Joshua judges, Ruth first and second uh, Samuel first and second Kings. But Chronicles actually is the last book of that old Testament series Mm. as it is in in the Jewish organization of the Bible in the Hebrew Bible. Right. And it makes way more sense there because it's a whole revisiting of the Old Testament, a retelling of the events of the Old Testament. Yes. Yeah. So it's I like that about it as well. And my kids learn the Tanakh organization, they Okay. They don't memorize the Hebrew, but they certainly learn the uh, organization in general.
2: Now, and, and remind uh, me and, and remind us uh, the the grade level that you're doing this at, this is tenth grade, eleventh
1: grade. Yeah, 10, 11, and some twelves.
2: 10, yeah. 11, and some twelve. Uh, I mean it, again, uh, much like Riley, this isn't i've I've already googled it as you were speaking,, uh, this immersed Bible. Um, mm-hmm. thinking through all the uh, the trajectories that this could go around um, discussion around the canon. Um, and the, you know, historical development of, of chapters and verses themselves. Like, this seems like there's right. there's a, a whole secondary layer of, of learning and, and uh, class discussion and exploration there. Uh, d- do you dive into that part of that at all? Or
1: That's where we start, actually. Okay. So, we start with two questions. What is the Bible and what is the story of the Bible? which are also titles of Bible project videos, which is perfect. I rely on the them dovetail. heavily in the yeah. first unit. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And so the Tanakh structure, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. So Torah, the law, Nevi'im, the prophets, Ketuvim, the writings, um, which I, I want to interject here is another feature of, of how I bring kids into the learning is novelty. It's not an end goal, but it's, it's an entry point. Mm. Yes. So they're like, well, Good. wait a second. This is not the Bible I know. Yeah, yep. okay, let's yep. keep learning together. Um, so we learn that structure, and then the Immersed Bible follows that structure generally uh, in the Old Testament books. And then the the final volume of the series is the whole New Testament in one volume, but it's organized differently too. Uh, Paul's letters, for instance, in our standard Bible are organized from largest to smallest. Where the immersed bible is author and audience so you kind of get a really different feel when you tackle it that way wow yeah that's
0: really cool even like cuz cuz chronicles kings does cause some issues um, (laughs) when they're right next to each other. Right. And like, it's, it's kind of like, wait, why, why is this seemingly sometimes the same? Um, Right. And, and that is an important question to tackle, but it seems like this immersed Bible is kind of like, well, let's just reorganize it. And then all of a sudden people's alarms aren't freaking out as, as much as maybe they should.
1: I I think. Go ahead. As a, as a, not a teacher, but as a Bible reader, Mm -hmm it's a quagmire it's a it's quicksand you get to first and second kings and you go through all of those different kings and and then you get to first and second chronicles and you're like wait a minute didn't i just get through and you lose enthusiasm i think but if you put it at the end you go like okay wait a second they're going now over all of the stuff we've been reading up to this point it, it just yeah it hits better Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well the whole
0: point of Chronicles is like something has happened,
1: right? To that to mm-hmm. that we need to
0: retell it and the, the reorganization just fixes that. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm loving the um uh again sort of these keywords like novelty uh, for students yes. and um sort of discovering what we think we might know uh, but in in new ways and mm-hmm. um and sort of new, new pathways. It's uh, and the other the other word that's coming to me is, um, you know, that we have sort of domesticated scripture in a certain sense, right? Like we've it, it's it's almost so culturally familiar to many of our students. I don't want to generalize, but that tends to be the case, and and you, you come at a slight angle. And you, it's not, it's not just a technique, right? I mean, it's attention grabbing, uh, but then it's what we do with that and how we, um, how we play with that, uh, in the classroom Mm -hmm. that
1: I, I think is where you're,
2: sounds like you're, you've got some traction there.
1: Yeah. I think novelty has to be followed with meaning. Yeah. So it's fine to have something new and, you know, shocking even, um, but then you've got to follow it up with why it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, it's trivia, right? That's right. And I, I'm concerned about that. So, for instance, uh, very near the beginning of the course, I'll be asking questions just to kind of gauge kids where you at and, and pointing out like, hey, we have a lot to learn. Let me give you an example. How many of you can tell me how many sons Abraham has? And immediately I can tell across the room. You've got kids who, who know two. They're happy with that, and then you've got kids who who say, oh, "Wait a second, this is a trick question. He's talking about the son of the promise and not the son of effort." You know, and then when they find out the answer, and none of them have guessed it, and it's eight kids, they're like, "What? Eight kids?" And I could wa- I could leave it with that. Okay, there you go. You didn't know that. Uh-huh, gotcha. You got uh-huh, gotcha.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: which is not the goal at all. No. So then I follow it up and I say, "One of those sons, his name is Midian." does anybody know anything about the Midianites? And then you've got the kids who have high exposure um, who might know, oh, didn't, didn't Moses flee to the land of Midian? Yeah, he did. Right. So then you follow up the, the novelty, the shock with some meaning and you ground it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it's a, it's a card trick, right? Yeah.
0: exactly. And, and Dave, Dave and I have talked about, like also novelty and like um like also in like chapel settings and stuff like that just bringing something new that makes people go huh and and how how that that like you said it could just be a piece of trivia but that is such a, an entry point for deeper learning in any subject and i think one thing right. that we've encountered a lot talking about teaching bible is how useful just just pedagogy and the teaching of other subjects is to a Bible class, sometimes we treat it as so differently that we don't know what to do with it. But then if we mm-hmm. treat it exactly the same, because it is its own thing, but you're right. Like novelty, novelty is connected to learning, not only with the Bible, but with a lot of things, hence why it can
1: work. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned, um, a, a term high exposure. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you want to talk about, Let's what I go mean there. by that, or let's, I probably should. Yeah, let's do that. I it <laughs> I want more. So, so high exposure. Um, I'm defining as kids who've grown up in a Christian home, uh, who are churched, and who have gone to Christian elementary school. And high exposure does not necessarily represent depth uh, as much as breadth. So they they know the the well-worn stories really well. Some of them know why they're important and maybe what can be learned from them. And those would be high exposure kids. So these are the kids where when I'm asking, you know, how many kids did Abraham have? They're the ones thinking about, wait a second, is this a trick question? Is he referring to Isaac, the son of the promise? And they would know the story. They would know how that worked out and how Abraham And Sarah, you know, lost patience and didn't trust God and so on. So, those would be high exposure kids. Low exposure kids uh, come from other faith traditions um, or other traditions within Christianity. Um, I've had some really interesting ones with Coptic kids and Catholic kids and Orthodox kids. Yeah. A lot of fun to have in class. Great questions. Mm -hmm. And... You know, also kids who are unchurched, you know, the, their grandparent is paying their way through school and uh, wants them to be at the Christian school. And what I want to do is, is I want those kids who are low exposure to, to leave my class at the end of a semester with some confidence and, and actually having some high exposure in a short time. And the tools then to go beyond because I can't finish their Bible education and no Bible teacher should assume that's their job, that we've got to nice. finish it.
2: Yeah. Right? Good.
1: I'm, I'm starting it. This is, you know, even for the high exposure kids, we're at the beginning of a different kind of journey. The other axis, if we look at this as a chart, is interest level. And interest level is probably a little bit more obvious and requires less explanation. So you've got kids who... You know, I have done eight or nine years of Christian education and I, I'm done. I know all there is to know, or I'm just exhausted, or we keep going over the same content starting at Genesis from K to eight and not getting very far. My questions aren't getting answered, that kind of thing. And then you have kids who who just love it and they're highly curious and they can be, you know, low exposure and very interested, you know, tabula rasa, blank, blank tablet. They just want to know uh, what is this? What 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 is there for me? And then you've got kids who are afraid. You know, I I don't think I'm going to do very well. I don't know what's going on, and their interest level is low because of their lack of exposure. But the goal for all of them is that we all end up on a trajectory toward curiosity that will sustain them. That's awesome.
2: I love that. Yeah.
0: Have you ever had, is this just a teaching tool or would you ever like inquire with your students? Like, where are you, like, where do you identify on this chart? Like, would you ever ask them that just for your own? To be honest, you can probably tell based off of the, like, what type of, Uh, In curiosity, they're demonstrated just by their studenting behavior. But would you ever ask them personally? Um,
1: I'm not opposed to asking them, but I don't generally as a practice. Right. Uh, I would love that conversation with a kid who initiates it. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've had students say, you know, I I sit in church differently now. Yeah. Um, You know, now I, I listen differently and I pay attention and I've got my Bible open in church, um, and I didn't do that before. I've had a parent, uh, unfortunately, not talk to me, but talk to someone else in our <laughs> school and say, yeah, our daughter is now interested in, and had completely lost interest. Wow. Um, yeah. And I don't hear that all the time, and I also hear some other stuff, like, are you teaching my kid a reformed worldview, for example? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, Yeah. which I I – answer that by saying i, th- I think that's a, a home in church activity right yeah
0: yeah that's that's really cool i think I, um yeah just the the background that we come. i think uh, dave mcfarland you would may I, I think you would identify with this let me know if you don't but like the background that we come from like it is all very um a lot of Bible class is meant to be very personal. I think that's yeah. maybe why yeah. I, I I even asked that question. Like, I think there's a lot of like in our context. Like, if we were given such yeah. chart like that, the first thing I think a lot of teachers would want to do is they like, "Hey, we're going to applaud ourselves." Sorry, was that?
2: <laughs> yeah, they would th- in the hands of uh, of many, and I I would probably do it myself. Um, is is throwing that up to students. Um, Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Riley. My context specifically, um, so David, I'm in the high school and and Riley's in in the middle school and we Mm -hmm. uh, compare notes a lot. I'm thinking in in our context, for example, uh, the senior year, grade 12, is – sort of the capstone year, we're not working through, it's more thematic as opposed to, we, we've done sort of survey Old Testament, New Testament right. uh, stuff. And I've done the grade 12 course. This to me is is the very type of thing that we get students to, to activate in, in grade 12. It, it, totally mm-hmm. to the curiosity level, taking it, um, the idea of like self feeders, you know, like uh, you don't have to, we're not feeding you a program. Um, you, you've learned skills and ways and 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 piqued curiosity to use your language so um right yeah so i, I could i could definitely see um this in something like our, our grade 12 uh but i i also hear you do this sort of implicitly right like this is what right put, built into your your pedagogy and students will um, will will pick up on that to certain extents
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, as I'm hearing you both talk about it, I could see the value in in sort of a, a way of reflection. You know, where, where do you see your journey on this chart as a high school student, you know, completing your four years and presenting your learning in a capstone on the faith side of things or the Bible understanding side? How do you see yourself on this chart? I think that certainly has value. Uh, in the context of the grade ten Bible class that I teach, because I have such a diversity of students, um, I would be reluctant to do that yeah. where they're at at the moment. Yeah.
2: yeah, it's kind of and partly developmental too, right? So,
1: yeah, totally. Um, I mean, because I teach the same courses both semesters, you can see the difference in one year from grade ten. They just mm-hmm. grow so much.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I would, I, I would just be wary of like lest this become the thing, like the thing that's shoved in front of them every year. And every year you're gonna plot yourself and how have you changed and stuff like that. Which like learning is growth over time and stuff like that. But when it's something like, it's just I don't, I don't know. It just becomes a bit too much if that were the case. But from your perspective, yeah, as a capstone or like a teaching tool, that's where it makes a
1: ton of sense. Hmm. Yeah, for me, it's it's how I plot the kids in my mind as we engage each other and my assessments lead or my assessments work in tandem, I guess with the model that we're talking about Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of reflection, uh, a lot of close reading one-on-one conversations. So then I really get to know the kids and I get to see what changes and, and how their interest is being piqued uh, or how they, show me their exposure. I, I remember a student a number of years ago who showed a, a huge lack of interest in school in general. Uh, I would never, in his particular case, say that he didn't appreciate the Bible. In fact, I think he told me that, that he did, uh, but communicating in an academic setting was not his thing. Toward the end of the semester, we were in the Book of Ruth, so I guess we're two thirds way through we're talking about you know what? How could, how do we connect Ruth to what we've learned so far? And he was able to do it um, in a group setting. I had half the class working on computers, half the class in a group, and we were just talking. And he was able to say, "Yeah, you know, this thing is connected to that thing," and and really show his his exposure level uh, and the the skill to maintain that. So what he demonstrated is this anti cramming mentality that yeah that we have in a class so I hate when you have and I hate's a strong word but that's really how I feel you, you teach a class and students are actively not learning so I, I don't want to absorb this now and they do that for four or five days or however you structure your units and then the test is coming up on Friday so Thursday night I will learn it all yeah. I've resisted up till now. I will learn it all now. Well, that doesn't doesn't work in how we do our class. Um, first of all, that assessment isn't present. I don't do tests. So that opportunity is gone. But also on any given day, I'm expecting kids to engage what we learned a week ago today and think about what's coming tomorrow.
2: Scaffolded in a, in a particular way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We baby step it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned no tests. I don't do quizzes either. That's where the conversations come in. Okay.
0: And, uh, tell, tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. So conversations um, are required in Ontario. It's part of our growing success document, which the ministry of education has put out and they call it recorded conversations, not recorded in the sense this podcast is recorded, but that it's an assessed conversation. And with very little guidance on how to do it. So over the years, I've developed this method and it's time consuming. So that's a big warning to anyone who's interested. (laughs) And I, I have my kids busy, so they're all doing something and then I pull them aside one by one and, and ask them only two questions. And the two questions are, what are we learning where I'm expecting some content? So, Some details, if they start out with big ideas, I'm going to ask for detail. If they start out with the details, you know, like they've memorized these 10 things, then I'm going to ask them, well, why does it matter? The second question definitely gets to that because it's, well, what is meaningful to you about what we've learned? And it could even be an assessment type. It could be a tool we used, and it could be content that they're describing as being meaningful, meaningful to them. And back to what Dave said about scaffolding. Initially, there's some coaching and the answers are pretty shallow. But by the end of the semester, they're really pouring them, pouring on the the passion and the understanding, and it's really, really good. Anyway, these conversations, as I've described it to you just now, is probably the m- most used of of anyone that's ever been in a session with me or anyone I've talked to about what I do. And uh, I feel like, you know, this is what I value. And this is a great topic over here, but then it always comes down to these conversations. So yeah, I definitely recommend one-on-one conversations. And one uh, fellow in Michigan has adapted it to small group conversations. So I think he has up to three in a group mm-hmm. and then they can bounce off each other a little bit and that helps him with the time aspect of it.
2: I've tried very, that very thing in in uh, again to transference in social studies
1: uh, context as well. Right, I mean,
2: it's the same same idea, David. You uh, the document's called "Growing Success," right? Is that the the name of
1: the Ontario? that's right "Growing I, Success"? Yeah.
2: I have n- I did my teacher training in Ontario, um, and I have not heard that term in. It's been in the dark recesses of my mind for over <laughs> a decade. So, <laughs> thank you for I remember that now. <laughs> nice
0: yeah. connection there. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, sorry, go for it, David. Oh, credit where credit is due. It's it's a great document. (laughs) That's right. I know. Nice. Uh, what I love is the, well, I love your strategy there. Like going into the, like sometimes conversations are tough because like you don't necessarily know what a student's going to say and what are you necessarily listening for? But even having those cues of like, Hey, if I hear details, I'd love to hear what they think about big idea. If they talk big idea, I'd love to hear detail. Um, yeah. I think that just equips teachers to a, a better extent. And it does sound very time consuming, especially, I don't know if you're semestered or linear or whatnot. Like I teach eighth grade homeroom this upcoming year. So I could see like, oh, I do have them like a good chunk of time that I could work with because they're they're with me a lot. But at the same time, yeah, definitely a a, a time commitment that in your opinion is definitely worth it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I alternate between that sort of activity and a reflection, which has basically the same two questions. So the reflection is slightly different in that it asks, um, you know, what is one thing? So not everything, but what's one thing that stands out to you from this past unit and why? And I, it has a rubric. Mainly what I'm looking for is thoughtfulness and thoroughness. So, and those are two easy goals. So they, on the first day, that's up on my wall, be thoughtful, be thorough with an explanation. Mm -hmm. And it, and if they can grow in those two areas that makes assessment fairly easy so the you know the reflection might be you know one unit and a one-on-one conversation will be a different unit so that i'm not i'm spreading it out so i might get four conversations or five conversations done in a in a semester
0: yeah rubric sorry that just made me think a little bit more so um I'd love to even see your rubric, but but I'd also love it if you maybe expanded a bit more on the other types of assessments that we might see in your class if you're not doing tests. Because this is, okay, so, let, me, let, let me show you my cards first. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this helps, but like from my perspective, you might find like, either either you'd find like, okay, here's Bible classes. We're going to give tests multiple choice. I don't know, whatever. Show me what you know. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, I would see just a lot of like like participation journal journaling to some extent to right. make it more like a like i think dave and i might call it a devotions 2.0 or something like that um right. but what is it that what what might students be doing in your class
1: so uh, let me just respond generally to assessment in general um or i guess that's a little bit redundant let me respond to assessment in general nice. and that is i always start with this question what do i want to know so the assessment choice that I make answers that question. If I want to know, can kids rhyme off these 10 facts under a time pressure in a stressful situation, then I should choose an assessment that does that. And that might be a quiz or a test. If I want to know, you know, do my students understand the content and can then make connections to, you know, between topics, then I will choose a different kind of assessment that can do that. So I tend to favor this the second option, something along those lines. Um, so we do projects, whether they're PBL or not. So PBL being project-based learning. So for instance, the first assessment that they do, aside from a one-on-one conversation with me in the first unit, is a, an infographic they make from everything that they've learned about what is the Bible and what is the story of the Bible. And they're fantastic infographics. It's structured. I tell them what the end product is. And then later in, in the semester, they'll have something that's completely wide open. You can choose any kind of product that expresses your learning so long as it effectively expresses your learning. And that's it. So. One-on-one conversations, reflections, mm-hmm. and uh, these projects, or you know, it's, big or small, love it. Infographics, I like it. Are a lot of them digital? They're all digital. Oh, uh, well, nice. I had one student who said, "Hey, can I do this by hand because I'm just more comfortable?" I'm like, absolutely. We were learning remotely, so it took several different photos before yeah. we got one I could read. Oh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I think part of back to the pedagogy question is. You know, there's risk in saying you can make whatever you want to, but I mitigate that risk by participating, you know, talking to them or having them collaborate with their group. They make prototypes. If someone says, you know, I'm going to build a life-size David and Goliath sort of thing. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> <That's>, you know, <laughs> we only have two weeks. So that's not going to happen. So, you know, it's not completely free, but that's where the rigor is is yeah. in all of the assessments is the thinking. So, I think I'm known as a little bit of an easy marker. I like rubrics and I think rubrics favor higher grades, at least in mm-hmm. Ontario. That's how they're structured. Um, and I'm not trying to boost their mark, but generally I'm pretty light when, except I require them to use their noodle. And a lot of them, you know, express like, oh, this is hard. You know, this okay, I'm not sure what to do about this, Mr. Grills. And it forces the conversation. It forces them talking to me and talking to their neighbor and sort of hashing out what they find. And when they're successful, it's fantastic. And that's when my mind gets blown. And like, oh, you made such a great connection there or we did it together or whatever.
0: Yeah, just it reminds me of, well, a a math researcher here in BC, Peter Lillydahl, he talks about student thinking. And he says, hopefully in math, we would get students to a place where they prefer thinking to not thinking. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because you said you're an easy marker, but I'm like, Oh my goodness. But like these, these are like legitimate projects. Like the things someone actually has to do where it's quality. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's a quality piece, which includes the thinking, right? Like uh, where I guess I'm comparing it to, to an approach that might say like, like more a participatory approach where it's like, did you complete your journals?
2: Good to go, but yeah, there's your A. And it goes, it goes back, David, to what you were saying about uh, what is it that I'm trying to assess here? What is it that I want to know? Yes, I, right. I, I can, I can design a really hard test, right? Um, and and I could deflate grades in that sense, but that's to sort yeah. of hijack our purpose, right?
1: Yeah, and and when you mark that test, it's like, do you really want to know that? Yeah, I had a, the very first Bible class I ever taught. Um, you know, as a new teacher to that subject area, I just used what I had, what was given to me and the final exam had list the 66 books of the Bible in order oh, wow. nice! with a couple of spoilers in there from, you know, the pseudopigrapha or the apocryphal books and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, no word bank, you know, you just got to know it. And <laughs> I'm marking these and I'm thinking, I don't care about this I mean, <laughs> yeah not invested I, yeah no and and I, I don't think i want my students to walk away from bible class and say this is what matters mm. you know so i'm hoping that if i orient my assessments around the Absolutely. question of what I, what do i want to know that their experience uh, for many of them their final formal experience with the bible they walk away Feeling like yeah, I know what matters. What matters is this meta narrative, this story of redemption, you know, God active in history, and so on.
2: Mm-hmm. This this totally complements um, some of the work of, of another David, uh, David I. Smith. At the Kyers Institute, I mean, he he sort of talks a lot about, uh, I mean, his own his own children going through Christian schooling and figuring it almost was uh, learning how to sort of you figure out a teacher right in any subject. But the he was talking about Bible, and you can you game it, you figure out what what they're going to do, and uh, that you actually skim skim off the top as opposed to deep learning, right? Yeah. What right. was
0: what were his words? That he's studying with his son. This yeah. is his story, but he says he's studying with his son, and it's like a it's going to be a matching quiz with terms and yeah. then so i don't have to know, know what i
2: mean i just have to know
1: yeah what his, his son says to him i don't need to know it that well dad <laughs> yeah right yeah i just need a, a schema that i can use to match exactly yeah so it's that you're yeah, and that's you're, human nature yes of course um sounds like uh you know me
2: doing in you know, we're doing our road test or something you know driving licensing test or something but um yeah i, I hear you rejecting is too strong a word, but, uh, uh, you, you know, contesting that and, and, and working,
1: working at cross purposes with that in a healthy way, David, in your, call. yeah. Yeah. And, and going back to the skill aspect of things. So there are skills that are assessed. So let's say it is driving. I know whether or not they can drive. Yeah. And I have evidence of that, but it's not. And so a driving test if you really think deeply about it, particularly the written portion, doesn't tell anyone whether or not someone can drive. Exactly right. Exactly right. The knowledge test part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's going back into the vault. It's been a while since. I, <laughs>
2: I know. I don't know why I picked that example, but you you summoned yeah. my my deep Ontario uh, root memory there. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, and I just want to say that, you know, tests and exams do have their place for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess if, if they answer one of my favorite, we have a Dave and I have a colleague that just with anything like what with a policy or with anything or with an assessment, what problem is this the answer to? And sometimes mm-hmm. that answers what you want to know. It, yeah. it can definitely can.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I've, want to add in, and maybe it doesn't belong here in this part of the conversation, but I'm thinking about it as I'm, you know, looking at the variety in, in my classroom, the number of, of different types of kids if I were to put them into categories. And one thing that we do, and this goes back to the, can you put all the Bible books in order is we use page numbers. So I know in different schools, it's a bring your own Bible situation or we'll give you Bibles. If you don't have one of your own, I have class sets that go out and then come back in so that we can turn to a page number and just bail those kids out who don't have the sword drill background, who can't find things readily. Uh, I want them to be comfortable. And I I really, I I don't want there to be any barrier Mm -hmm. to them getting to the text. And I don't want them to open up to the text feeling less than right so it nice. just sort of addresses that e- that equity aspect as well yeah l- lowers the floor big time
0: like who who wants to be the kid that's that's rifling through the table of contents while their high exposure friend has already found what it is that they're looking for right
1: yeah and you know uh, the high exposure kids are utilized so i i might be writing something on the board and i say hey we're going to take a look at you know jeremiah chapter 15 someone find it and yell out the page number and so they get to flex those muscles. They get to say, oh, I got it. I got it. It's page, you know, whatever it is. Nice. So there's room for that too. build it in.
2: Yeah.
0: Now your class, yeah. I have to ask your class set is, is this immerse translation? Or NLT, uh, no. It is.
1: Oh, it's not. Okay. So, uh, no, let me. So there is a downside to the immerse. I love the immerse for reading. Yes. Not so great for study because, you know, you can't point to, can you go to verse eight and read that again? Because oh, where's duh. verse eight? Yeah. Of course. So we have a we have a cultural background study Bible, the NIV version. I used to use the ESV study Bible, which has fantastic notes, um, but some dubious and confusing translation choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can read uh, like cardboard sometimes. Actually, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it there's two sides to that. One is it has a little bit of the authority feeling that you might get from, say, a King James version as well. But yeah, I want kids to understand. And if I'm explaining every other word, then Uh, it's not helpful. It's a barrier. The English, yeah. 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 So we switched to the NIV for that that reason. And I love the Cultural Backgrounds Bible because it gets to a lot of what the kids want to know that they haven't heard so far. We uh, have an opening circle on day one. So gearing up for that in a couple of weeks. It's three weeks today. I think class starts for us. And uh, three times because I teach the same course three times in a day. Okay. We only have four opportunities to teach in a day. And one is a prep period. And I haven't have the same course back to back to back. Nice. And we'll form a circle and I'll say, hey, what are you guys hoping to learn? And model, you know, some answers. You know, often kids will say this, but I try to say it in such a way I don't get an echo of that. I want them to seriously think about it. Uh, I have done it with captain, co-captain, depending on the dynamics of the class, where kids will speak to another kid who's more comfortable speaking out to the class. But I like to try to get everybody to speak in that circle. And often it's, you know, I just want to go a little bit deeper. I want to know the context. I want to know what's going on in history. I want to know what's going on culturally in these things, because I've heard this crazy thing or I've heard that crazy thing. And up to this point, they just haven't. Being given an opportunity to explore that and the cultural backgrounds bible does a great job of that unfortunately some of the vocabulary is very academic and so i have to you know rewrite some of it or we'll summarize it in class together um and also it can be controversial so they take a a scholarly approach so it doesn't promote a particular worldview it just says hey you know this section is problematic because of this, 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 and this. And here are possible solutions. Uh, here's what's going on culturally and historically. And the kids tend to love it. And they rarely come away from that feeling like, Oh, the Bible is not true. They start to understand how it's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fun way to you say like it. <clears throat> how yeah. it's true. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep this rolling about books. Every, every time we are on this, um, Every time we interview somebody, we always ask about what they're reading. But I'd love it if you also threw in like some some of your your best reads that have kind of informed the courses that you teach. If you if you uh, have those off the top of your head, but sure, how about you share us? We share with us what you've been reading recently, either for professional development or for pleasure or for both.
1: Sure. So I'll start with pleasure. Um, I'm on book four of the Dune series, God Emperor of Dune in preparation of the film that's coming out, I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd. Cool. So uh, as I tell you that I'm looking at my uh, tie fighter that's on my desk. <laughs> so <laughs> looking looking forward to uh, finishing that and, and nice. then the rest of the series once I've got some time. So that's been on my shelf uh, beside my bed and yeah, I'm about a quarter of the way through. Cool. Uh, it's a good read. The first one's probably the best, but the rest are pretty good as well uh professionally i'm i've just been presenting about curiosity uh recently and and not the most recent time but the time before that i won a handful of books that are fantastic um and one i'm working my way through is called enjoying the bible from matthew mullins and it's literary approaches to loving the scriptures mm. so uh, another novel thing for kids and that's probably um, a pun is it looking at the Bible as a literature? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, really embracing the idea that this was written with a purpose. This was written with a meaningful style uh, that, you know, shares the meaning that helps us to both be formed and informed. And uh, Matthew Mullins does a great job of explaining how that is done and, and how we read. And really, I want my kids to be better Bible readers. If that's the end product, it's that these kids can read the Bible better. So that one's very helpful, and I'm still working on that one. And another one that I just got, if I can throw a third book in here. Go for it. That I'm really excited about, I've only just cracked it enough to know that I wish I had more time to read it right now, is Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible from Michael F. Byrd.
0: Oh, I saw that on Twitter.
1: It's fantastic. I mean, it gets to the heart of what we talk about in our class already. Uh, and some things we don't. So I don't generally talk about inspiration. It's just such a hornet's nest. Um, yeah. I do talk about it indirectly. So as we're reading, for example, I think it's First uh, Kings is it chapter one or chapter two when it says that you know God spoke through David. I'll say, hey, this is this is dictation, inspiration. This is God saying through David, text. And then in the New Testament course, you know, Paul will say, these are my words, not God's words, right? So, they get an idea of what inspiration is just from the context of what we're reading, but I don't do it as a topic. But it explains, well, what does inspiration mean? Uh, how is the Bible true? Uh, why the Bible needs to be rooted in history? Literary interpretation is not always – oh, sorry, a literal interpretation mm-hmm. is not always the best interpretation. Come on. But that one, that comes up, right? So, Probably day um, one. Yeah, if we talk about, about a pretty
0: survey. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, for example, in the study Bible we use, they have a great article about the cultural background issues. Okay, and there are twelve of them. So I key in on three of them generally, or maybe um, one of them is is deep reality. So we approach it as modern Westerners, and when we see history, what, what we're told is this is a historical book. The expectations we have of that are completely off base. This is an ancient Near Eastern document, so their understanding of what historical accuracy is mm-hmm. is completely different. Yeah, and so it teaches us to look at it. Well, okay, if you're writing your memoir, you're going to smooth out things so people can understand what you're getting at. Uh, the Bible's already huge. If they wrote it the way we expect it to be written as a history it would be much much larger so this is smoothed out history it's got symbols and metaphors and references that um, make it work and so appreciating that uh, is very very helpful so anyway this book does a great job of walking through that
2: neat uh i've i've jotted that one down i want to
1: take a look at that as well
2: um david i uh and probably not the only one I I know there's going to be some of our listeners um, who are going to have been very interested in all the stuff you've been sharing. And I know that you are uh, present online um, both on Twitter and beyond. Do you want to uh, you, this is free airtime. You want to do a little plug for uh, where people can, can find you and and some of the, the work you're doing that's public
1: facing. Sure. So I talk about a lot of these things on my podcast, which can be found in any, of the main podcast purveyors and it's flourishing better Bible instruction. It's a mouthful, but if you search for flourishing and Bible, I think you can find it. Yeah. Dude, ours is called (laughs) not many of you should become teachers. We we (laughs) We should have seven words. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What's wrong with us? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, on Twitter, I'm very active on Twitter, probably too active. Um, (laughs) And my handle is David K. Grills on twitter but yeah i also just on monday and tuesday uh, was part of a boot camp for our our teachers association here at advance and on tuesday i gave a talk very similar to our our conversation with some of the same book recommendations so you can find that on the advance boot camp website if you search google for advance boot camp uh or if you look find my twitter i think i posted both of those links today
2: yeah, we'll be sure to to link that stuff up so so people can find you as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, for Great. sure. Yeah, David, thanks so much for joining us. Like this has been a long time in the making when I stumbled across your Twitter a few months ago and I'm so glad that we were able to connect this summer. So finally got to do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this for a
0: while. And I think we'll have to connect another time. It was funny. I was thinking this summer, I was like, oh, maybe we should just hop on Zoom and just talk. And I'm like, oh, why wouldn't we record it? So this is a fantastic addition. <laughs> yeah. And I already have been sending your, especially your, your Old Testament survey stuff to some colleagues of mine. And uh, I'll definitely be listening to flourishing for sure.
1: Great. Yeah, I think the next step for me is some short 10 minute section by section going through the Bible. Oh, that would be such a win.
0: That could be even usable. Like you can maybe mm. make it, well, you, you could have it so teachers could use it. That would be amazing as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want. That's yeah. awesome okay cool well let's just sign off here thanks again David those who are listening if you're looking for more um, not many of you should become teachers you should check out our website at notmanyofyou.com. you can find uh, we're on every podcast provider you can hit subscribe to just uh, help support us and what it is that we're doing and you'll be notified whenever there is a new episode you can also find us on twitter at not many of you and we hope that you have a great rest of your summer if this comes out still in the summer or a good brand new school or wherever you're at. So, thanks for listening. Bye bye.